Hello, you amazing people out there, and welcome to the Amazing Action Comics Podcast, where we are all about independent comics. I am one of your hosts, Angel, with Phil Pepe. How's it going, Angel? Ooh, it is another week, brother. Books and yeah. books and stuff, so uh, and, it's and all good. a completely non-historically significant week in American history. Yes, completely <laughs> non yes. Nothing, uh, nothing happened this week of, uh, of importance. No, well, not, nothing worth mentioning, actually. No, uh, no, definitely. Yeah, people are just losing their minds over something. They are losing their minds. Screw we it. Know we don't know everything yet. So. However, and and good and on the brighter side, um, I did get to watch Prey because we spoke about it last week, and holy balls nuts! Um, what a good movie! It was was it great? Oh, it was so good. And you know what? I'm gonna watch it again and probably five more times afterwards. Nice. And then watch did the you, original did- Predator right afterwards. Did you watch the Comanche version or the English? Uh, not the Comanche, because I don't think it's out yet, right? Oh, I don't know. I just, I, I, I thought the whole thing, when we were talking last week, I thought the whole thing was going to be in Comanche, like released in Comanche. And then, of course, you know, I'm watching it, and there's that, the, the black screen with the first sentence in yes, Comanche. Yes. And I'm like, oh, wow, this really is. But then <laughs> it, they give you the English. So then I was reading that they did do two versions um, that should both be available on Hulu. I thought it was the same day. Yeah, I would check it. And I have no interest in watching it in another language that I don't (laughs) understand. So um, even though it's a visually stunning movie, uh, which is crazy that it didn't end up in the theaters, but it it is what it is. Right. That to me, I think that's the biggest crime. I think other people have other issues with it. Um, The least of which, again, is the people. Oh, how could this little girl beat up a predator? And it's like Danny Glover beat up a predator. Adrian Brody and his nose beat up a predator. Like, yes. you know, if you watch the movie, you can see how she is capable and she uses her smarts, you know, and her skills and her, you know, her observation skills and her planning skills, her hunting skills, her tracking skills. Yeah. Uh, I think it's all baked into there. And I think that you, you, when you watch the movie, you absolutely buy it. Listen, it, if it this was based off of true events, then I, I would listen to people bitching. But when we're in make believe world where predators don't exist, wait, then yes. what? wait, 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 what are you telling me? Yes, they don't exist. <laughs> they don't exist. Uh, at least we haven't seen them because they've been camouflaged all this time. Then what the uh, fuck, dude? It's just it's, it doesn't make any sense. Like you can you can you can suspend your disbelief in a comic. So you have Moon Girl riding a red dinosaur. That's okay. That that's logical. <laughs> but uh, a freaking Comanche who's trained all her life to want to be a fighter. Uh, defeating a predator who's already, I would say, three quarters already beaten down because mm-hmm. he's bleeding out of every orifice and stuff like that. Yeah, fuck off. I just, and it's I, not like it's, it's not like she punches him to death. You know, no, it's, like, it's not she, that. Like, she's like yeah. brutal with him too. Yeah. And it's not like one shot. It's like ninety freaking thousand shots she's taking, and the son of a yeah. bitch won't go down. It's just crazy. Yeah. Like like people people can't just be happy. Right. You have to nitpick at everything, and it's and it's it's over the. If it was something that was like if it was plot driven, if it was at sucky actors or it was poorly edited, like something big. But when you have to pick on, oh, a little girl beat up the predator, I can't believe that. You're you're in the world of make believe, motherfucker. And and uh, and and most of the people that have these complaints that haven't actually seen the movie. They're just basing it on assumptions. Yes, yes, and, just like gay and- Superman. Yeah, and and as a, um, as a as a father of a, of a teenage daughter, um, you know, you know when they get angry, they oh. do some terrible things. Yes, absolutely. So. Beyond that, I, I, I'd be more terrified than I'd rather actually fight a predator than my fourteen year old daughter. Um, just a quick quick side note: just uh, where when I went to college, there was a golf course right behind our uh, our school, right? So we would spend a lot of weekend weekend nights just running around the golf course being college maniacs and we had this one friend who could do the predator the clicking sound right perfectly like he practices <laughs> and he would like sneak up behind you or like you know people and just like within earshot but like not close that you just you could start to hear the, the, the do the clicking thing right? right and then you just start to like see you see the guy like what's going on what's going on you know and uh because again college and um, and so there's you know you're not in your right mind uh, on a Saturday night yeah. in, in, in college, <laughs> and so you're you know you're experiencing things in your own head. So yeah, he would he would find the most susceptible person. He'd go he'd start doing that clicking thing, which I'm not even gonna try. 
and yes. you start to see like their eyes go back and forth, and then, and then you start to do the out there. Yeah. Past trees. <laughs> I see. And some kids would jump. There's like one kid we knew. Uh, he's like six foot plus. I swear that one time he Ed got him to jump higher than his actual standard. <laughs> insane, right? so, well, it's funny uh, yeah. how like uh, like the simple patterns and sounds become the most iconic. Like everybody knows a predator sound at this at this point, even if they can't imitate it. Or if you're at the beach and you hear. Dun, 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 you start to freak out, or if you're in the woods and you hear cha 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 cha, the most simple sounds and stuff like that just become so iconic. And Predator is just up there with them. So yeah, I get it. Because if I was in the freaking middle, of, like camping in the middle of the woods, and I heard that, I'd be like, nope, let's go. Um, all right, cool. So let's let's hop into it, folks. So uh, welcome to another episode of the In the Comic Review. This is episode seventy-seven. So we're, we're kind of excited because we're we're almost reaching hundred. Um, uh, not an age, but shit, fuck. Uh, <laughs> almost, almost but in episodes, five. yeah, almost every week. So sometimes twice a week. Um, and we're we're looking at at 100. We're going to reveal a new kind of like format. So we're kind of excited about that. So we'll, we'll keep chalking it up until till we get there. Just like we had uh, Phil's big reveal. But I think this will be this this will be less disappointing, um, and more exciting. So we've got four books for you this week. Uh, pretty quick, easy read. So. We're going to let Phil start because he had a majority of them. So uh, why don't you start with, uh, oh, there's a good book that you might have written or uh, read from uh, Amazing Action Comics. <laughs> Absolutely, sure. So, yeah, I, I am uh, honored to start with uh, Project Shadowbreed, Volume 2, Issue 1. And so this is from, of course, Amazing Action Comics, uh, which is, again, um, great company. A- Great company. Angel, uh, you know, obviously is the publisher and I think uh, driving, driving um, thought leader, uh, big brain behind all of Amazing Action Comics. And, you know, I've told you how, how I love what you're doing and I just I, I hope this keeps growing for you. Uh, so this is the continuation of the previous Project Shadowbreed uh, series. It is created and written by Justin Bartz. Art by Randy Myers, uh, and edited by Holly, Holly Ann Bartz, which I think is very cool that that's, uh, that that's sort of like they're like a little team there, you know, in more ways than one. I think that's very neat. Mm-hmm. So um, great thing about this right off the bat is if you did not pick up the first volume of, of Project Shadowbreed from Amazing Action Comics, um, this gives you all the information you need. Uh, right uh, at the at the top of the title, it gives you you know the little log line for um, what Project Shadowbreed is about, uh, and its main protagonist Barrack. Uh, and I love that that little paragraph. It just reminds me of the old Marvel comics from the '70s, where they would have you know that little you know masthead you know right at the top of the splash mm-hmm, page. Mm-hmm. It was in every issue. It just told you who Peter Parker was. It told you Bruce Banner was. I love and it, so that that one little log line paragraph is great it reminds me of that and it's perfect to get the point across uh then you get a nice one page recap of um of of what went on before and where you are when you dive into this story so even taking that out of the picture the true test is if someone could read this without even reading those uh those those explanatory uh expository passages and this reads so clean for somebody who doesn't know what's going on. You really get a sense of who Marrick is as a character, as well as his uh, partner, Leroy. Uh, you also get introduced to three great villains. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, one, especially uh, uh, Rockjaw, who has appeared in the spinoff series, um, Red Hyena. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so you, 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 know, and you get to know the big bad. Uh, as well so you really introduce everything right off the top but what's also really good about this is you don't have to wait too long uh through the exposition in the comic itself before you get into some really cool action beats and moments so one of the things that really stood out to me as far as uh, some of the characters that we meet is this uh villain called courtyard who is a uh, describes himself as a failed stand-up comedian as well as a failed croquet player. 
and both of those <laughs> things come into play in his modus operandi. Uh, and his favorite thing, he, he looks like a jester. Uh, and, you know, it's the, the, the evil clown trope is so prevalent for so long. It is kind of hard to put a new spin on that. And mm-hmm. I thought that Justin uh, and, and Randy really did put a good spin on it, not only in the visual design, but also how the character acts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of his best moves, one of his favorite moves, is the knock-knock joke. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you want to hear a knock-knock joke. And it works best if he's got two people in front of him. And it's, you know, it's with the croquet mallet, knock-knock, boom, you know, right on top of the head. And, uh, and I think that's a great little little gimmick, a great little trick. And what's even better, too, is when you bring these three uh, uh, hitmen together, uh, one is a guy who can control flame. He's a uh, pyrokinetic, much like uh, what Firestarter or, or mm-hmm. uh, the guy from the X-Men uh uh, comics and had some spotlight in the movie pyro right yep, yep. Uh, and then of course like i said rock jaw so of course these guys you know they, they don't get along and uh, i love that right away because again the, the story this specific issue is two's company three's a crowd and this and the spin on that traditional phrase is usually you're talking about i think it originated as you know for young parents right two's mm-hmm. company baby comes along three becomes a crowd and then it sort of added to a lot of relationship situations. The twist on this that I like is the two's company is Merrick and uh, Merrick and Leroy who have, you know, you know, they know each other very well. They work well together. They help each other out. But the three in that is you're not adding one to the two. The three are these three hitmen <laughs> who hate each other, can't get along. And they're, they just want to get all the money for themselves. They each one wants to complete the job themselves and take all the money and not have to split it three ways. And so, of course, that is prevalent right at the beginning. And, it, it, you know, with that initial encounter, you have uh, a courtyard, you know, basically taking them out of the picture as he pursues Marrick and uh, Leroy. And so, uh, you know, so that I don't want to give away too much because I mm-hmm. think that action sequence that is really at the center of that of that of this first issue of the second volume is a great action sequence. Randy is improving so much as an artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, his character designs are really clear. The action is really clear. And uh, he doesn't overdo backgrounds when necessary and doesn't underdo backgrounds. You know, he, he picks and chooses uh, for what I think is going to have the most emphasis for the scene. And I think that carries across really well. So he knows, you know, if, you know, when they're in a diner setting, you know, he needs to have the, you know, the, the trappings of a diner, but he doesn't overdo it. And then when he just wants you to focus on the characters talking, the minimal uh, background really helps put the characters to the forefront. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, his, uh, his character work is, is very clean. So it's, you know, that he, that is his strength or his characters. And he really plays to that really well. He's a great panel layist, uh, panel, panel layouterist. Uh, his panel layouts are really good and solid. His storytelling is clear. And at this point, him and Justin really do have a great relation, uh, relationship as writer and artist. And you, uh, you know, again, with Justin's writing, you know, the dialogue is clear. The character voices are distinct and 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 separate. You know, Merrick doesn't talk like Leroy. Mm-hmm. Leroy doesn't talk like Croquet. Croquet doesn't talk like Rockjaw. You know, so so the voices are very clear, which is a, a, a benefit because you are dealing with a black and white comic. So mm-hmm. as much clarity in character design and dialogue uh, that that a writer artist team can put into there, uh, the all the better. And, you know, because we're so conditioned to really using colors to help us interpret who is saying what in a, in a comic, especially if it's a crowded scene. And as far as, you know, what, uh, placement and where things go. So when you're knocking color out, yeah, your line work really has to be clear and your storytelling has to be clear. And these guys, they nailed it. I really think they nailed it with this first issue. So I really cool. enjoyed this. Again, I encourage people to pick up the first project shadow retrade uh, or digitally or whatnot because it really is a fun fun ride and a great you know opening salvo for this ongoing story but if you if you missed out on that or you just want to kind of dive in and and see and read this just to see what this whole world is like i think this is a really great showcase for that so i 
thought all efforts across the board on this were really good. Uh, I do feel bad that Merrick never got to eat, di- eat dinner. <laughs> I don't think that one beer is enough calorie intake to really heal properly for the next issue, but you know, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and again, I can't, I, I, I can't undersell the cover enough. Uh, you did a great job. <laughs> Angel, of course, did the cover. And, the, you know, the, 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 the line work on that is really good. The shading, the depth of, of, of that, like, alley, garage that they're in. The vehicle is really intimidating looking and really, I think, pops on the cover. And, of course, um, Marek and Leroy, you know, hanging out in front of that. It's just it's a really nice image. I think it sells the book really well. And uh, I also like that you did uh, in the first issue, you have the variant covers or, or pinups, I guess you would say, uh, which is a great choice to do the bug shots of the three assassins. So you really get, um, you know, you kind of, they remind me sort of of like trading cards almost. Yep. Um, so I thought that was a really good choice on how to do that. I'm really intrigued by the Seekers uh, that are promised uh, at the end of the first issue for the next issue. It's uh, that the, they, the, 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 the mystery that, uh, you know, the, 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 having them in silhouette or shadow like that with the little eyes coming out. I'm just, as I'm looking at your variant covers, I noticed that last panel. Um, it's a really great tease by Randy and um, uh, as far as what these characters, what to kind of expect from these characters. So that was yeah. Cool. So yeah, cool. great job. Uh, I again, I really hope that people gravitate towards this. And again, if this is their first experience in this world, that they go back and and check out what they missed out. Mm-hmm. But I really hope this brings people along for the ride. So. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. So for you guys, just so that you know, uh, you know, uh, Phil doesn't have any skin in the game, so he doesn't know any plot points. He doesn't know anything about the story other than what he's been given to read. So it's just good to get like a. Uh, a fresh perspective on that because you know even though you don't have to read the first volume there's information in there that kind of ties everything together mm-hmm. and so now volume two is really crucial because it's going to start to bring worlds together and everything's so it's is it's surrounded or is at, at its core and its center is obviously Marek and Leroy and even their relationship is going to be tested with information that's coming down the line, which is, you know, when I was reading the scripts, I was like, holy shit, really? Um, so the fact that, you know, because they need each other to, to get through all of this because now they have, you know, the Seekers are part of Syntec, which mm-hmm. is, you know, the company that they escaped from because of the whole Project Shadow Breed program. And, and Syntec's been looking for these guys for so long. And they've been under the radar doing their silent, like, vigilante stuff. But now that they've messed around with, you know, this guy that hired the mercenaries is Andrews. And Andrews is this, like, uh, big-time freaking, you know, gangster slash mafia slash warlord of Seattle. But he's in, he's in shipping. He's in shipping. So yeah, he's in shipping. <laughs> but uh, that was a nice detail. Really, really quick. That was a nice detail I liked is the uh, Andrews Shipping Company. Yes. With that logo. <laughs> Uh, ASC ask and will deliver. Yes. I love little little silly <laughs> puns like that for like, when I like businesses and stuff. It's like Syntec. It's like what a great if I were gonna have a evil company, he won't I would you call, call it Syntec because people oh that's too obvious. No, he can't be bad. Yes, exactly. He had something nicer. Yeah, case. so all those little Easter eggs are in there, which is great. But now, but but it's cool because now you've had these guys kind of under the radar and now they've popped up because they're, they're making noise. So now Syntec is back on their radar and um, they're going to be confronted on all sides. And, and you get to find out why these mercenaries are hired by Andrews and why these seekers are, you know, looking for American and, and Leroy. Uh, and then a whole bunch of other stuff is coming down the pipe, which it, it's just, it's going to be insane. So yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. We, you know, I had fun and, and Justin is the other half of Amazing Ashley Comics, right? He's a co-founder, so he's been vested in this since the very beginning. And Project Shadowbreed is his baby, so he knows it inside and out. Um, but I, I think they're off to a great start. And the next issue should be coming out right around October now. So we're excited for that. So uh, Randy's working on that. Um, and, you know, Justin's wife, Holly Ann, is just really, she's... She's spot on when it comes to editing because sometimes when I'm reading this stuff, I'm reading it with like blurry eyes and stuff like that at three o'clock in the morning. 
Um, but she's really diligent about just making sure that uh, I's dotted and T's across and everything makes sense uh, as far as story-wise as well. So cool. I'm glad you enjoyed it, bro. So if you guys want a copy, right now it is being released digitally. So you can go to AmazingActionComics.com and download a copy. Um, and then, you know, write to us and let us know what you think. We'd love to see what you guys think on that. So, yeah. And, and, and can people still get, uh, get a, a, the, the trade, the first volume trade paperback? Is that still available? available? So I have to double check. I think I took them offline because I, what I was doing is I was redoing issues one through five because okay. originally they were done in color. And right. so since we don't have the original artwork, I had to go in and digitally, um, remove all the colors so that it's one long black and white, um, series, which is what it was originally intended to be. So if it's not available online, this new stuff, or well, the new issues one through five, will probably be available by the end of the year, because that's okay, what I'm cool. really working hard on. And then you'll have volume one, volume two, should be done by the end of the year too as well. So yeah, we're oh, trucking along. And that'd be nice, you know, again, if volume two gets completed and if there's enough demand, um, you know, from from the folks listening to this and beyond uh, to do a nice chunky, you know, first two volumes in, in one would be would be really cool, too. Or have that nice big chunk available digitally. As yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just I'm just waiting for that that uh, kick ass Marek action figure <laughs> that, 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 you know, with, with the removable uh bandana mask and, and all the ex, uh, weapons and accessories. So, yeah, I'm, well, I'm, I'm keep my fingers crossed for that. As long as McFarlane's available, we'll see. Um, all right, moving along. All right, so that's Project <laughs> Shadow Brief from Amazing Action Comics. Um, I guess it's my turn. All right, so I read Samurai Doggy, and this is from Aftershock Comics, um, and this is uh, written by Chris Tex, uh, and the artist, colorist, and letterer was Santos with two T's. If you can yes. believe that. So it's S-A-N-T and Tos. Um, all right, cool. So what can I say about this book? I was really excited about it to be, first of all, because uh, the art looked really great and the concept, you know, when I uh, read the synopsis, seemed really interesting as well. And basically what you have here is one big revenge book. So you have this, this puppy. You have this samurai doggy um, mm -hmm. who is born in a litter. And he's re he's remembering um, the trauma of his what what happened after his birth. So basically, his mother gets killed by somebody, and his brothers are stolen. And in this whole fight, in the very beginning, he has to be at least what, not even eight weeks old. He's trying to attack the attacker. I think he bites his thumb off, and then the attacker lifts him up in the air after he punches him into the ground and then shoots him dead. Like, like throws the dog up in the air like it's a, like he's a, 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 what do you call that? When you do the, the clay shooting stuff? Oh, um, uh, yeah, like I just think, I'm thinking the duck hunt. Uh, are they called birdies? They're not called birdies. They're called pigeons or something shot like that. Is that uh, shot shot uh, skeet shooting? Yeah, 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 whatever it is. But you know what I'm Which saying. Now, in these, if you look that up on the Urban Dictionary, it means something very different now. Probably so, yes. Skeet shooting. Um, so throws the dog up in the air, boom, shoots it dead, leaves it for dead, and then his entire family's pretty much stolen. Well, his brother's stolen, his mother's dead. He's left for dead. Vulture that's sort of a, a robot vulture, I guess, is coming to, to eat him. I don't understand why a robot vulture would want to eat organics um in our respects but ends up saving him so basically you're you have a story that's being told about this dog whose entire family was stolen mother was murdered and he's seeking revenge and now it's 20 years later so here's the thing so right now we're gonna we're gonna try to bring some some believability into something that's just make-believe it's <laughs> 20 years and you barely knew your brothers so you have 20 years that are gone. You're grown. He loses an eye in the process when he was trying to save them. And now I guess he wants to save his brothers. Who and this are, is 20, year, 20 years are real gonna time. Be 20 years, 20 yes. Time. No, correct, yes, because they would have been dead. <laughs> well, they would. They should be dead, right? Um, so, yeah. So, I, I mean, the, the book looks beautiful. There's some really great laid out action sequences and stuff like that. I know what they were trying to do with the book. Um, it, the Jumping around in this in the story is is a bit too much for me. You know how sometimes they'll they'll jump into action and they'll be like, mm -hmm. oh wait 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 wait, let's back up, and then it sh and then it shows you how they got there. Mm. This tries to do that, but it doesn't do it one hundred percent. 
mm-hmm. uh, which which bothered me a little bit. So I, I, the storytelling a little bit was kind of throwing me off. Um, and it didn't leave you on a cliffhanger that really made you want to, to, you know, pick up the next issue, unfortunately for me. And this is me talking personally. So as, as, as long as we've been doing this, we've hardly ever found any books that we, you know, don't connect to. Um, and it's been a long time that I've not connected to a book. And as much as I really wanted to like this book, I just couldn't connect to it at all. Not to say that somebody who picks it up would not connect to it. It, it just it wasn't for me. Um, in that sense, but you know, beautiful looking book. Uh, Santos did a great job, and and you know, to do three parts of it, which is you know the coloring, the drawing, and lettering, mm-hmm. um, and to to have it you know look this beautiful. Uh, kudos to him. And then Chris, who's a screenwriter, I believe by nature, um, also wrote another comic. I can't remember what it was, but there was really minimal dialogue in it, and I think that that suffered a little bit in like some of the storytelling. Because where I think the storytelling was being left to the art, it didn't really carry the story along, um, which is which is weird because the art is beautiful. I just don't understand what the hell's going on some of the times. Um, so I might go back and read it again and see if there's something that I missed. Um, and sometimes in the second reading you get a little bit more, but yeah, this was this was a little bit of a, a, a miss for me. It might be better in trade for me if I read it all the way through. Right. Uh, but if you sort of like that, you know, anthropomorphic, uh, and you like that 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 samurai kind of feel, um, yeah, I, I would pick it up. Like I'm, I'm pretty. What I'd be interested is to see how he got to this point because it literally went from, you know, his family's, you know, his brother's taking to his mother's dying to 20 years later. Mm. So you know, why does he call himself Samurai Doggy? Is he a samurai in, in a sense, like a ronin or whatever? Because he does walk around. Uh, with a sword and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be interesting to see who was, you know, who taught him what he knows as far as fighting. Um, and if he follows the, like an actual Bushido code or anything like that. So, yeah. And, uh, uh, go ahead. Uh, uh, and does this take place in feudal Japan or there was, uh, is this sort of like no, a tournament time or a future? Uh, yeah, location is not clear. I mean, there's okay. one place that, because uh, they have like, uh, I guess, Japanese symbols. So it would be like, I don't know if that's a Japan town or a Chinatown, but the only place that's mentioned is here is this place called Sky Panel, hmm. like like downtown markets. So I don't know if Sky Panel is a place in actual the U.S. or something like that, or if it's just fictional. But I, I and and it's all anthropomorphic. I mean, there's, I don't right. think there was any humans in it other so than like these humanoid good, robots. Unlike, un, yeah, unlike Good Dog uh, or Good Boy that has right. uh, <laughs> good humans dog. Good dog, good dog. It's good, good, the Good Boy. Yes, I know. I was saying good dog. Yeah, I was saying good dog too. And then I did myself. And I thought, wait, did I? All right. But yeah, so that has a mix of, of humans and anthropomorphic. And they're all kind of in on the joke that, that there are anthropomorphic characters coexisting with humans. This is a purely anthropomorphic world, but also with robot. But with uh, robots that are yeah. that are humanoid robots, which is yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it, it'll be interesting. I I don't know. I I might pick up the next issue to see if it if it does anything. Um, but yeah, I, I just for some reason it just it was it was a, a miss on me this week. So, but check it out, Samurai Dog from Aftershock Comics. And you know what? They've been putting out some really great stuff because we've read a lot of stuff from Aftershock this year that we were really pleasantly pleased with. And they yeah. always have that backup material at the very end. And yeah. this one, oh, there you go. So this is, oh, it says Samurai Dog. I can't understand what the hell, because it looks all like graffiti. But I <laughs> guess this is the entire island um, okay. that they're on. So, yeah, so they're on some place. It doesn't look like it's an actual, uh, it looks like it's fictitious. Yeah, so it's just, it exists wholly in its own fictional world without Correct. touchstones. Correct. Well, uh, you know, Correct. cool. Yeah. <laughs> all right, there you go. Samurai Doggy from uh, Aftershock Comics. All right, what do you got left? So I got uh, I got two. Uh, the other two books I read were from Image, uh, which again is having a banner thirtieth year anniversary, and the fact that Image is able we've talked about this before that Image has expanded so much they're able to you know in any given week you can have a light superhero book you could have a dark superhero book like Spawn. You could have uh, a, a witty superhero book like Savage Dragon. And then you have, you know, a wide range of horror themed books and, and, and other type. I mean, image is across the board 
hitting, I think, every single genre you can hit and really has such a, a, a diverse slate of storytelling. Hmm. And when I say diverse, I mean in genre, uh, as, you know, as well as the other more common, I guess, now meaning of diverse. But that's, that's really not the point here, that, that image is such a, a wide array, a, a, a buffet, if you will, of various types of stories and so that i could pick two books from image that uh that came out this week that are wildly different um it's just it's great it's just a great testament to this company that really started as one specific thing but has just grown in the last 30 years uh into really being a powerhouse for not only satisfying i think a nostalgia niche that people like with their comics but also exposing and introducing people to new things and new creators that you know can can work outside of specific boxes that they're known for working on so the first mm-hmm. one from image that i decided to choose this week was the deadliest bouquet and it is written and lettered by erica schultz uh art by carola borelli colors by gab Contreras. Edits by James Emmett. And I apologize for butchering, butchering Gab's last name there. Uh, <laughs> but um, the, uh, the, now you had said, you had familiar with Erica Schultz. You said you've read some other stuff from her before. Well, and I met her too at a, at a con. Yeah, we well, actually, I was, uh, what con was it? Was it Baltimore, I think? And then she was sitting right next to me in the next booth and we, we conversated. She was with her husband and stuff like that. So yeah, really, really nice person and stuff like that. And um yeah I, I like her writing so i you know what and i like it too because uh well right away on the first panel with the uh setting she she got me uh north jersey february 15th 1998 <laughs> <laughs> so this book takes place in north jersey so i'm like oh great 98 i remember 98 all right so let's see where we're going uh but no seriously though uh this is a book about a dysfunctional family you're really dealing with a matriarch and um, her three daughters who uh, have all grown up and have sort of two have gone their separate ways. And one is still with the mother. And, uh, you know, like all good dysfunctional family comics and stories should begin with. It begins with a murder. And so the murder is actually of the pa- patriarch of this family. Her name is Jasmine. Her three daughters are Rose violet and poppy and of course jasmine and uh has a a floral boutique uh so she's a florist and rose helps her with the business and jasmine at the top of the book has been murdered so rose call reaches out to her older sister poppy and then they uh, who is out in california with her family she has a husband and two kids and then violet who lives off in London and Violet is the, the, the wild one, right? The vagabond, the one who first left, the one who got the tattoo to represent, you know, her and her siblings. And so her big return, you know, when she comes back, you know, to the crime scene and reunites with her sister, of course, that becomes a big deal uh, among this dysfunctional, dysfunctional family dynamic. And as mm. this, slo- this story slowly starts to un- un- unroll, one thing you start to find out is that these girls all you know, have a family secret and it involves murders in the past. Uh, at one point, one of the sisters says to the other, you know, look, this isn't going to end with me uh, helping you bury more bodies in the backyard. So <laughs> you do get a little bit of a glimpse into at least one of the specific murders and bodies uh, that they they have as a skeleton in their closet, so to speak. You also learn that each of these girls has a a penchant for um, violence, essentially. Uh, mm. In fact, it's in their names. Violet has uh, is her nickname is Violent Violet, and Poppy is Punchy Poppy. And we <laughs> don't know what Rose's uh, nickname is, but Rose is really good at throwing knives. And she was trained by her mother to do so. Hmm. So that's really your setup with this family. Of course, you have the detective who is trying to solve the murder of their mother, Jasmine. And then these women are sort of starting their own investigation. 
And, you know, I don't want to give away too much of the big reveal that happens towards the end of this. Uh, but this is a really intriguing story that uh, sort of, you know, pulled me in. And I thought it was really interesting. Uh, uh, I think it was an image book from last week that I reviewed called Golden Rage, which I was like, oh, it's Golden Girls meets Fight Club. Yes. Uh, the dynamics and the look of the three sisters in this really reminded me of sort of an adult version of uh, Powerpuff Girls. Because uh, you have the blonde, the redhead, the brunette. Uh, each one is sort of a fighter. Um, and I almost got this sense, especially because of the overwhelming flower theme, that maybe these girls aren't even real, that they were maybe grown by their mom, because there's a sort of a, a mystical aspect where it's referenced that her mother should be a lot older than she appears, uh, mm. which which I find very interesting. So I think there's really a lot of secrets uh, to be to be un unlocked in this family dynamic and in the story, and of course the overwhelming, you know, who murdered the mother. How does it tie into the, the one big dark secret from their past that we are shown that one other murder that is that is shown in flashback towards the end? And, you know, how does this all come together? A really good first issue really has me intrigued, uh, but it is definitely I feel one of those that there's a lot of moving pieces mm. that it might be something that is a better read in one sitting as a collected volume. Uh, but I really hope it does sustain the promise of the first issue, like I like I always do with these first issues. Uh, but I really thought the characters were really good. I thought the, the dialogue was, again, crisp and clear. Uh, the art was clear and solid and really told the story well. So, yeah, The Deadliest Bouquet from Image, really interesting first issue. Really like to see where this is going. And, again, something that is a little bit, you know, outside of the norm of our regular four color comic diet of, you know, superheroes or horror stuff. Uh, so I like that this does feel a little more grounded in reality. That is more of a straightforward mystery with some slight overtones and some, you know, little hints of something greater going on beyond um, the real world. But yeah, give it a shot. That is cool. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. All right. I think we have one more. We have one more. Uh, so this is from a very prolific and polarizing writer. Uh, again, this is another image book. Uh, this is called Love Everlasting. Uh, the writer uh, in question is Tom King. Uh, art by Elsa Charretier. <laughs> colored by yeah, Matt I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> lettering, uh, lettered by uh, Clayton Cowles. Uh, designer credit to Tom Muller and uh, edited by Marla Isaac and production artist Drew Gill. And this is a really interesting book. So Tom King really, you know, if you don't know Tom King, he is apparently a former CIA operative. Uh, he has written many well-received revisions of niche characters so his 12 issue vision series from marvel was very groundbreaking and it was really a, a, a critic and audience uh crowd pleaser people really responded and grasped onto that series it was a phenomenal series top mm. to bottom his mr miracle again sort of did the same thing for a similar level dc character maybe even a little less because vision movie a tv star mr miracle not so much mm -hmm. uh, but his mr miracle was great he also did a strange adventures uh, which is really well received. He really impressed me on his Warshack series for DC because I am one of those like uh, you don't you don't need to add to, to to Watchmen, but I really thought Warshack and the way it looked at comic creators in the world of Watchmen, uh, including including using Frank Miller as an actual character in the book, uh, I thought that really worked, uh, and and the mystery in that book was really engaging. So so that one actually was one I had really low expectations for, but I really liked. And then again, he's had some less than stellar moments. Uh, Heroes in Crisis with DC, his Batman run. Uh, less, that wasn't Batman. less than stellar. Uh, it was polar. You know what it was? It was polarizing. It was very polarizing. Okay. It was something that delivered really good on the, uh, on the first issue. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of people really didn't like what was done to certain characters that, you know, they didn't care about until they were killed off until this right. book. How could you do that to Blue Jay? This is a character I love that I've never talked about for 30 years, you know, um, or 
what what you know a lot of people felt it did to Wally West, and you know, this is a whole other bag of wax. But yeah, I felt that I I I I like Heroes of Crisis. I didn't think it necessarily stuck the landing like some of his other stuff, uh, but uh, I do remember it being very polarizing. I think people like were flatly rejecting it as it was coming out and when it finished up. Uh, and his Batman run, which started out really, really, really good. Uh, but I think because of a lot of certain editorial mandates and shakeups, I don't think he got to sort of fully realize his vision for Batman. And where yeah, because he never got to finish it. But you know what? He redeemed himself in Batman Killing Time because that was a fantastic. And that's run. a real yes, exactly. So that's a recent success. And and his one issue he did recently for the Dark Crisis crossover, I thought was really good too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, we we way too much about his mainstream work. We're really here to concentrate right now on his new book with Image called Love Everlasting. Mm-hmm. And this is really an interesting book. I think you said you started reading it. Um, but didn't quite have time to, to, to get through it. Hmm. So one of the first things that struck me right away is the art. I want to just talk about um, Elsa's art really quick. It, it, it's great because it's, it's that sort of Paul, uh, sorry, Bruce Tim, Darwin Cook, Batman animated style of artwork. Mm-hmm. So very minimal lines, but mm-hmm. really clear character design. Um, very expressive, very, uh, very experimental, I think, too, in a lot of places, uh, as far as how panels are laid out or things are positioned and situated in panels. Um, I really, really, really dug the art on this. And the art uh, does do, I think, a lot of the heavy lifting as far as making, you know, what is going on with the dialogue and the story very clear. You Basically, in this, you get three, three short stories about love. But the hook, and they're very uh, reminiscent of the old romance comics from like the the, the 50s and the 60s that were very popular when superheroes and crime and horror comics were sort of on a downturn. Romance comics became very big for a while. And a lot of the the, the greats from the, the Golden Age and the Silver Age did a lot of work on romance comics like Jack Kirby and, you know, and, and all those guys, uh, Dick Giordano, um, John Romita, you know, all these guys, you know, also did heavy, heavy work in the romance game and the romance games, uh, the romance comics from those, that era, it, it, you know, there, it's always, there's a woman pining for a man that she can't have. And there's always these, you know, gasp, choke, sob, thought balloons, you know, and if only I could be with my best friend's boyfriend kind of thing. And, and this sort of plays off of that as well, where you have a, a character named Joan Peterson, who in each of the stories, which takes place in a different era, like the first story is clearly in the 50s, second story is definitely the 60s, 70s, third story is like an old West tale. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same woman in each of the stories. She looks the same. She has the same name. And she's pining over a, a man that she meets. And in the first one, the man is her, her roommate's boyfriend and also her boss. And how she tries to get with him because she knows she's meant to be with him. His name is George. And it's like, it, and, and, and he knows he's meant to be with her. And at the end of that first story, they come together and it's happily ever after. And then, boom, you begin the next story again, a different decade. And it's the same girl, but she's a little younger, uh, living with her father in a very upper crust, uh, rich society in Connecticut. And she goes sneaking out to the to Greenwich Village to see the, the, the hippie music at the clubs and stuff. And she falls in love with a music, musician there who is not George. He is a clearly different guy. Mm. And she is clearly a different girl, but she's the same girl. And as she's building this relationship with this guy and pining over him and fretting about her father, reproving him, she starts to say, but what happened to George? What about George? I thought we were supposed to get married. And then she's like, wait, I don't know a George. I, you know, uh, uh, I'm all about this guy. And, and then, but George keeps slipping back in. And then that story wraps up with a very happy ending and, and a nice reveal uh, for, for the, 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 the hippie beatnik guy is actually also part of that upper class society. And his father approves and they get married and it's all very 
hat and nicely tied together like those romance stories of that era. Mm. And then you get to the Western story and you have this same girl, Joan Peterson, looks the same and is living on a ranch and she is set to be engaged to the, the, the son of the sheriff. But <clears throat> her father hires a new cowhand who falls for her and she falls for him and and then it's and then again but what about george what about this guy you know these guys keep creeping back in from these other lives that we've seen and you don't really know where this all fits in and then right right when you feel like you're going to get some sort of an explanation um she gets so overwhelmed she rides off she grabs her because she because it's like it's almost like this this third story is going to set up with the promise of the splash page of the two guys that she's into are going to fight each other uh for her love but she's so overwhelmed by the thoughts of these other lives she jumps on her horse and she rides for days until the horse dies and then she walks for days until she collapses because her rations are gone and then she's woken up with uh you know by a campfire um with uh a, a cowboy character with a you know his face is covered but she recognizes his eyes and then he shoots her which is <laughs> what you think you're about to get answers he shoots her and then you transition to which is actually sort of a fourth story but it's only a one page and this time she's a nurse and she's making out with the patient on the bed and that's like sort of your splash page and because i'm going to give away the ending to this because i think it's it, it is it, it kind of needs to be told to kind of sell the book mm -hmm. she's looking in the so now you're you know prior to that splash page where she's making out with the patient and it's how a story begins you have the splash page and then it's like oh and then on that morning you know this person did this so so there she is she's she's sitting there she's the nurse she's getting ready to start her shift and she looks in the mirror and she's like okay time to start the day and then she just exasperatedly just looks herself in the mirror and then puts her head in her hands so now she realizes that she's in this weird endless cycle of everlasting love or love everlasting. So what the hell is going on here, Tom King? <laughs> I, I, Listen, I even if I ate like six pounds of edibles and read it, 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 it sounds still trippy. Um, it is, and I'm sober. And, and that's the thing. So are the though, stories make believe in her head? We don't know. We, we don't know. know yet. And that's what I love about this type of a first issue. It is, it really grabs you with its art. It grabs you with its sort of wearing its nostalgia and homage on its sleeve to these old types of comics and these old sort of romantic tropes from the mm. older era. But it really leaves you with a lot of questions. And I, I, I am intrigued enough to want to see exactly what's going on. I think some people might find it a little too vague Right. a little too frustrating right. you might be turned off on picking up a second issue but i just because i'm a sucker for all eras of, of comics as well as unique and innovative ways of telling traditional stories i'm kind of into this and i felt that there were enough breadcrumbs there to really kind of pull me through uh much like uh grim right grim has takes familiar tropes, familiar story concepts and starts spinning them around and turning them on their heads. Right. This is sort of doing the same thing, but with these romance comics. And I just, I, I want to know what's going on. Um, and I really love the mystery that is set up. And I think that's one of the things that Tom King does best. Right. He sets up really good mysteries at the beginning of his, of his stories to, to carry you through the entire narrative. And he really nailed it with this, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I'm really intrigued. I really want to see what's going on here. Who is this Joan Peterson? Why is she experiencing all these lives? Why is the first one so separate from the others? But then it starts, they all start bleeding into the others. And how long has she been doing this? And is she only now just realizing it with that, that exasperation at the end? So mm -hmm. really really bizarre really weird but really intriguing and interesting and again i i love the art i love that type of art style i love the minimal line 
I love, you know, the animated Batman type Bruce Tim Darwin Cook style. I think it works so good for comics of any genre. And this is such a great pairing with this type of story with this type of art style yeah. that um, I really, really want to see where this is going. So okay. All right. Well, cool. Bizarre that, and uh, yeah. bizarre and interesting. This is uh, one that's going to have me guessing for the next 30 days. Uh, yeah. Or however, you know, <laughs> six to come out. between issues. Who knows how long it's going to happen. Yeah. But yeah, Love Everlasting from Image. Uh, really interesting uh, book to, to take a look at. And then again, if you want uh, something else a little more different and offbeat, uh, like I said, this weird sort of modern Powerpuff Girls thing that is Deadliest, deadliest Boutique, uh, or sorry, Deadliest Bouquet, uh, is also worth checking out. Okay. Well, all right, guys. There you have it. You have uh, a couple of books to check out this week. So, um, yeah, that, that's what we have for you this week. If you like what you're hearing, uh, make sure you please click subscribe to the podcast. We'll be here for you every single week. If you are a creator and have something that you want to promote, just visit AmazingActionComics.com slash podcast fill out the form and we'd love to have you on stay up to date on everything that's amazing at amazing action comics including uh product shattered brie volume two number one is out now so you can grab a copy uh for yourself yourself there um be sure to visit and support your local combo shop so they stay around for a long time coming uh phil where do you get your comics well i get mine at the joker's child in Fairlaw, new jersey and every week, man, we just get great, more, more great things coming in. I was really happy to see uh, all the T-shirts we got in this week. Because I'm a big T-shirt nerd, collector, junkie, whatever. You know, I love T-shirts. The weirder, the better. I especially love comic T-shirts. It's, it has been a while since we've had any real T-shirts, not just come into the store, but just to my awareness, be produced and put out there um, in, in a while. So to get some really neat snappy designs uh to wear to wear your literally your fandom on your sleeve uh it was really cool to see at the joker's child uh and again we we every week we just get some really cool neat stuff and again not just new stuff we're always finding really cool old stuff to put up as well so you know come on give us give us a, a visit if you've been there before you think you've seen everything come back because there's always more new things there are. All right. And if you can't make it, make sure you visit your local shop and give them a high five and some of your money. So that is all that we have for you now, kitties. I'm going to take this book. Yeah. <laughs> Until next time, please be amazing, stay amazing, and read something amazing. Mm-hmm.